We're going to have a different uh, approach to today's sermon. It's going to be a little more on the, uh, the teaching than the application, but it's because we're setting up for the, the following weeks. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12 again, and we're going to be in the first 11 verses, and we're going to be there because we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts. And in order to talk about them, we want to make sure we understand what they are. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Well, we live in a time and a place where people are highly uninformed about spiritual gifts. And as you'll see next time we gather and we get into verse 12 and following, and even all the way through chapter 13 and 14, the church is a body of believers designed to function with each and every one of us using the gifts God is entrusted to us. Meaning that everyone here who is a believer has a vital role to play in the functioning of the local body. And if we're not all playing the role God's entrusted to us, we're going to look like a crippled mess. And I don't know if you've looked at the Church of America today, but it's pretty crippled and pretty messy. It doesn't have to be. It shouldn't be. But it begins with understanding what the spiritual gifts are, then how to apply them, and what that looks like. Well, if you remember last week in the, the church of God in Corinth, they had allowed worldly ways to enter the church and how the, how the spiritual gifts functioned. Remember we had a, a guy in the church standing up yelling, Jesus is accursed, and they thought it was a, a believer functioning in the power of the Holy Spirit. We looked at how that happened. If you don't remember, you can go back and listen. We looked at how counterfeits had begun to enter the church, distortion of, of true gifts. And I want to take a little time today and talk about what they really are. And so we're prepared to move in. Now, I've met people who claim to have gifts that aren't gifts. Talked a little bit about the gift of of cooking or baking. It's a gift. It's just not a spiritual gift. There there are Jewish bakeries that are really, really good. Trust me. uh, Baking isn't a gift. I've met people who claim to have gifts that don't exist anymore. We'll talk a little bit about that this week and more so in chapter 14. I've met people who don't know what their gifts are. It's a very common thing. And I've met people who have been uninformed about how to use the gifts they've been entrusted with. So today, we're going to go through the spiritual gifts as God has revealed to us in Scripture. We're going to talk a little bit about what they are. So you guys have a list if you open your bulletins, the kids. You have a long list. Don't try to fill it all in, but that's all of them we're going to go through. The grown-ups are going to have to suffer and figure out what I'm saying and keep up with me. There's not a, a, a list in Scripture in a particular text that says, you know, the, the spiritual gifts are. That works for fruit of the Spirit. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness self-control. The, the uh, fruit of the Spirit is all right there for you listed. The gifts of the Spirit. You've got to jump around a bit. If you look in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, that's where we are today. And then you combine Romans 12, 6 through 8. You hop over to Ephesians 4.11 and jump to 1 Peter 4.10 and 11, then you got them. You don't have to write that all down, but that's where I'm going to be pulling from. And we're going to look at, I didn't count, 14, 15, 16 gifts as revealed in Scripture. And I want to do this because you all have these gifts, but often if we, we don't know what they are, we can't know we have them. I'm going to suspect there might be someone here today who has a gift of evangelism. But if you never share the gospel, you're not going to know you have the gift of evangelism. And that would be really sad. 
It's going to be someone here today who has a gift of faith. But if you don't know what that is, how do you know you have it? There might be someone here who thinks they have the gift of healing. They're going to be mad at me by the end, but it's not me you're going to be mad at. It's going to be God, and I'll show you why. Okay? So let's walk through these and take a look. All the gifts can be broken into two categories. Speaking and service. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter. And they can be further broken down into temporary sign gifts of authentication and continuing gifts today. Now, some of the things I say you may not, you may not agree with. That is okay. Challenge me on it. Preferably after I'm done preaching, but if you feel that you need to do it right now, you know. Challenge me on it. I'm not sharing my opinion. I'm going to unpack everything from Scripture. So if something runs contrary to what you, you expect or suspect, let, let's dig a little deeper. But I'm going to base it in Scripture, not my opinion. And I'm going to start out by saying there are five speaking gifts that remain today in the list we're going to look at. Those gifts, we'll go through them, are prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, teaching, and exhortation. If you're alert, I left out tongues and interpretation of tongues. And I'm not going to touch those until chapter 14. I didn't include them in the list, so we'll see if I have to go back and make a preaching revision or if there's a basis for that statement. Okay? So you have prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, teaching, and exhortation. Permanent gifts of speaking. Wisdom. Wisdom is really straightforward. It's a, it's, well, let me preface this before we go too quickly. Spiritual gifts are gifts that are entrusted to us. Every believer has them. They're entrusted to us by the Spirit to allow us to be the body of Christ on earth. Watch this. Every spiritual gift is something Jesus had during his earthly ministry. They're not normal abilities that are just made more robust. They're they're manifestations of the power of the Spirit working through you to minister to one another. Jesus had the gift of wisdom. How did I know he had the gift of wisdom? It's the ability to skillfully apply biblical truth. Yeah, you ever read through the Gospels? Remember when Jesus took out the scroll? You read Isaiah? Since in your hearing today, this scripture has been fulfilled. That's some serious wisdom, no? Knowledge is another spiritual gift. These tie together closely, but they're different. Jesus had knowledge. The the ability to observe biblical facts and understand what they mean. Now, some people think that when you read Scripture, you're supposed to just be able to understand it really well. Everyone should be able to do it independently. You want to know a dirty little secret? God didn't make it work that way. Some people have the gift of knowledge. When I was in seminary, some of these professors had the gift of knowledge, and it would blow your mind. You know, they, they could go back and they, they can unpack for you an obscure chapter in Habakkuk and explain to you what this has to do with what, and you're sitting there going, oh my word, I never saw that before. You see, they're using, they're using their spiritual gift for, the, for ministering to the body, but they're lacking the gift of wisdom, not saying they're not smart, but the gift of how to apply that text to your life. So sometimes someone who's entrusted with a gift of wisdom will benefit from someone who has a gift of knowledge. You put it together and you take the clear teaching of Scripture and you apply it to a person's life. Do you see that? But not everyone has a gift of wisdom and knowledge. Some in the church have these gifts and they're used for ministering to other people. Jesus clearly had both. Jesus had all of these gifts. But wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom is the ability to apply. Knowledge is the ability to understand. Prophecy. We'll get into the first kind of tricky one. When you think of the word prophecy, what do you think of? It's a way I check to see if anyone's awake. So, A prophet, right? Someone who probably speaks forward, foretells something that will happen. That, that English term of foretelling an event is actually from the Middle Ages. 
The Greek word is nothing to do, it does, but not fully. It's prophetia. Pro means before. If you went through elementary school, you had to learn that one, right? Phetea means to speak. You ready for this? This is really deep. The gift of prophecy means speaking before. Not before events, but before people. It's public proclamation. That's all it is. Now, prophets of the Old Testament had the gift of prophecy. It was a public proclamation of God's truth or God's word. Often they would do it in a revelatory way. Thus saith the Lord... Other times they do it in a present tense way. God says for the immediacy. And often they do it in a past tense. Read the book of Habakkuk. I've referenced that twice today, right? When when a preacher can say Habakkuk twice in one sermon, they're cooking with gas. But it just means the gift of speaking God's truth or God's word in a public proclamatory way. I don't know if that's a word, but we're going to make it one. It is a gift that still exists today. It has a future and present basis that, that you don't have today, and I'll explain why in a moment. Now it has a past basis. When I preach, I have the gift of prophecy. It makes me laugh because I shared with you as a kid, I asked my mom, how do I know if I have the gift of prophecy? I didn't at the time, but I don't foretell events. I'm not a soothsayer. I can't tell you what's going to happen two weeks from now. And if I say God told me, you'll be very careful with that because all prophecy has to be tested by Scripture. I have an ability to reiterate the truth of God and the Word of God in the sense of a spiritual gift. Revelatory and reiteration. The gift of revelatory prophecy, not anymore. Not in the sense of this gift that we're talking about. Reiteration, that's what we have today. We don't have it today because God, the, the, the revelatory, because God's word is closed. He's, he's revealed all we need to know about him, about who we are, and about how to live with him. So, in the Old Testament, you had people, the prophets, speaking, revealing God's truth. They didn't have scripture. In the New Testament, you had the same type of thing, right? You had people revealing God's truth. Paul wrote the epistles under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If I come in and tell you that that I wrote this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it says that you all should go buy me that Bentley, throw a stone at me. That's not from the Lord, because it doesn't run, it, it runs contrary to scripture, actually. But watch this. You look at Revelation 19.10. I told you this wasn't just opinion. Revelation 19.10 tells us that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? The heart of all prophecy today is a proclamation of Christ. If you look at first, and don't try to keep up with me here. That's why I have these yellow tabs in case I want to go there. 1 Thessalonians 5.19.21 and 1 Corinthians 14.37. So you can get to 14.37, right? Those are telling us a prophecy or proclamation is to be tested by how it matches to Scripture. You see that gift there? Prophecy. Wisdom, knowledge, prophecy. Teaching. The ability to pass on God's truth to others. Different from proclamation in the sense of it's a continual action. Again, not everyone has these gifts. Some do, but they're to be used for ministering to one another. To one another in the church. Exhortation. Comfort and encouragement. Martin Luther has a great, great line to explain exhortation, the difference between exhortation and teaching. Catch this one. Teaching is directed at the ignorant. Don't take that word in a negative sense. People don't know something. Teaching is directed at the ignorant. Exhortation is directed at those who know better. Exhortation is is correcting and encouraging a believer in something they should know. Paul's exhorting the Corinthians in large part. Teaching is passing along biblical truth that someone doesn't know. 
Those are the, the speaking gifts that are around today. And this will make more sense of why this is important as we move through the next two chapters. Permanent gifts of service. Watch this. Faith. Now, the majority of these gifts are coming from our text today. If you don't see them there, they're in the Romans 6 passage. Okay, The gift of faith. What is that talking about? It says right here. It says, to one another, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing. So Paul's talking about the gift of faith. How do you know if you have the gift of faith? I thought all believers have faith, right? Sorry, Romans 6, what? Romans 6. The gift of of faith, I'm pulling it out of 1 Corinthians 12. So let me explain so you're not confused. There are these four lists in Scripture. The 1 Corinthians list, the Romans list. You want to know the passages. Romans 12, 6 through 8. I'm sorry, not 6. Romans 12, 6 through 8. There's some overlapping of gifts, meaning they'll repeat certain gifts in the two lists. But when I take all the lists together, which is what I'm doing today, Sean, I'm giving you the, the list of spiritual gifts from all of them. So the gift of faith is one of them. The gift of faith is different from the, than the faith all believers have, because Hebrews tells us that apart from faith, you can do nothing pleasing to God, right? But you remember interesting little passage that Jesus um, talks about in Matthew 17. The, the disciples had some problems they wonder, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus says, because, paraphrasing, you got weak faith. If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move. Now watch this. The gift of faith is the ability to supernaturally and intensely trust in God in an unusual capacity in the face of a storm. These are people who have this gift that have that ability to pray with faith the size of a mustard seed. They can call out to God. And God will respond to that prayer in a unique way. Now, God often gives that gift to people in a local body, but if you're not using it, you're not cooking with gas. Do you know what I'm saying there? Imagine if, if we had someone in our midst who was, who was given this gift, and they didn't use it. That would be really sad. This is a gift of faith. Mercy is extended to people in measure to misery. Now, you'll also notice as we go through, Some of these are things we're all called to do. Some just have a unique capacity to do it. Distinguishing between spirits. This is a gift that I have. And it's a dangerous gift because you can screw it up. Um, And it's hard to identify because in the flesh it seems a whole lot like pride. But it's the ability to identify a spiritual phony. As a young believer, I, I could interact with someone or read something quite often and be like, this is bunk. I thought, wow, look how smart I am. I just know it's bunk real quick. It's, it's, it's dangerous because you can let a lot of ego run in it, but the church needs it because it's hard sometimes to sniff out a phony, isn't it? Well, God is gracious and entrusts to some of his people the ability to sniff out a phony. It's important. Paul, Paul had that. Remember once Paul was walking along and there's a gal following him saying, These men are speaking in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul says, Knock it off. Get out of here. Right? Cast out a demon. From, how, how did Paul know that was bunk? Because well, Paul had this gift. You see that? It's, it's a dangerous gift if not used well and checked in the body, but it's a gift. The gift of giving. This is a great one. This is from Romans 12, 8. You'll often hear Christians say, well, I don't have the gift of giving, so I don't give. Or I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I don't share my faith. Well, I don't have the gift of mercy or compassion, so I don't like you. That's not how it's supposed to work. Gift of giving in Romans 12, 8. This is really neat. The Greek word for give is didomai. The word in 12, 8 for the gift of giving is metadidomai. 
you know what that means? Super giver. There are some Christians who are super givers. They have the spiritual gift of super giving. They, all Christians have a responsibility to give. God tells us to, to sow bountifully, to give sacrificially, to give cheerfully, to give abundantly. But some people are metodetomized. They just have this unique ability by the Spirit to give, 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 and give with a single-minded focus. Most of us, we give, but, but, but we're paying attention to how much we're keeping back, right? And it's not inherently evil, but we're like, well, here's what the Lord would, would, would want for me, and, and I give a little bit more for sacrificially, and, but I'm going to hold on to this. The metodidomize, they just give. And God keeps out shoveling them, but they just keep giving. You know, they're, they're not thinking about retiring down the road. They're just giving. And God's shoveling, and they're giving. It's, it's a unique gift. You know where this gift shows up in Scripture? John 12. This, this gal named Mary, anybody remember her? She had some, some fancy perfume. Worth 300 denarii. You know what that means? Cost a year's wage. Take what you make a year. Go to the, go to the store and buy some perfume with that. Some expensive perfume. And she poured it all out over Jesus on his feet. Now, now the rational person is like, well, 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 well whoop, cap it, stop it, right? Mary just poured it out. Judas had a problem with that. Maybe something to learn between Mary and Judas. Mary had the, the gift of metodidomai. She, she was a, a giver in the sense of as a spiritual gift. She didn't care about the cost. She was pouring it out on her Lord and Savior, Right? Remember in the book of Acts, you go in Acts 2, you see a lot of people exercising this gift in the church. Remember how many people in the, in the church family in Acts 2 were going hungry and homeless and couldn't meet their needs? Let me count them. Zip. You know why? Because people were exercising the gift of metodidomai. They were given in excess and no one had any needs. This gift, you'll see it in Philippians 4. Some of the Philippians had it. 2 Corinthians 8, the Macedonians had it in their poverty. They had this gift. Now, it's a really sad thing when you look at churches nowadays that, that can't pay their bills and they, you know, they don't know what they're going to do and their crowns shouldn't happen, folks, because within the local body, God often gives metodidomize. But you've got to know you have it. And how do you know you have it? You walk in the Spirit. Service and helps. It's the ability to care for people in a unique way. Look at 1 Corinthians sixteen fifteen at the end here. It says... Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. You want to know what's going on there? You've got to wait about seven months, then we'll be there. Some people have a unique ability to care for people in a unique way. And the last of the permanent gifts is leadership. It's the ability to organize, administrate, and make something happen. Cover all the details, mobilize the people, and get them to accomplish the task. Now, I have blown through those gifts really, really fast. And there's a reason for that. And as we go through these, these gifts, um, in 13 and 14, I want you to see how they fit in. But understand, of, of those gifts we've just talked about, those gifts all probably exist right here, right now. A lot of us don't know that we have them. And we'll work through why that is. But these are all the spiritual gifts that exist today that are in our midst used to minister to one another. And when we're using them in the measure that God's entrusted them to us, we're going to be a witness in the world that will blow their minds. You know what Acts 2 had? Listen, Jesus commissioned the early church to go out and evangelize the world. Do you know who was ahead of the evangelism committee in the church then? They didn't have one. Do you know how they did it? 
You know what they did? They walked in the Spirit. They, they depended upon God to work through them, and they loved one another as God called them to by the gifts they were entrusted with. This church is pretty pretty simple thing to run, because God runs it. And you'll see next time we get together. This is an organism, not an institution, not an organization. God runs it. We just walk in obedience and minister our gifts. I, I play a role in the church as the pastor. Do you know the church functions just fine without the pastor if it needs to for a little bit? You know, it's not my church. It's our church. It's actually the Lord's church. But who has the most important role in the church? Jesus. Who plays the second tier? Who's got, you know, who does? All of us together. We are part of the body. Imagine if your arm just ripped off and took off, right? Then your foot left you and you got your mouth falling off. And now you're looking like the American church. Because we all want certain gifts. Now watch this. You don't get to pick them. God gives them. But we all play a vital role with the gifts that are still around today. Now, here's an important thing, and this is going to apply very directly to where we go in the next few weeks and very much today. Paul says, I do not want you to be uninformed. I want to show you a couple gifts that don't exist today. But because people are uninformed, they think they do, and it makes a giant mess of the witness. Now, I spoke about prophecy. I said that there's no, there's no um, revelatory sense today. Mormonism. You know Mormonism? Joseph Smith went somewhere, saw some gold plates, some angel told him something, and he started a new religion. It's a false religion. It's a cult. Because God doesn't do that. Joseph Smith, you can't add to Scripture. So all these people who follow the Mormon faith are believing a lie. They're separated from the Lord Jesus. They, they believe Jesus was a created being, runs contrary to Scripture. That can't be true. They're saying that Joseph Smith had this prophetic office like the Old Testament prophets. It can't be true. Do you see that? This is very serious stuff. The gift of working miracles. Now let me be very clear here. God performs miracles today. If you've come to faith, God's performed a miracle. It's the greatest miracle around. God performs numerous miracles, even in our time, and he will in the future. So don't misunderstand. I'm talking about the gift of working miracles, not God working miracles. There is a very big difference. But the gift of working miracles, which is one of the gifts that is spoken of here, Verse 10, to another the working of miracles, I'm in 1 Corinthians 12 there, no longer exists today. Now let me explain why as opposed to my opinion, okay? All of the spiritual gifts are things that Jesus did on this earth. Jesus had the gift of performing miracles. Why did Jesus perform miracles? John tells us in John 2, 11, was to manifest his glory, basically to prove that he was who he said he was. John 5, 36 and 20, 30, as well as Acts 2, 22, all say the same thing. Jesus wasn't showing off. He performed miracles to authenticate that he was who he said he was. How gracious is God to do that? Jesus could have just come and said, I am, I am Messiah, I am God in the flesh, believe me or don't. He could have just said that. But God is so gracious, he gave authenticating signs that Jesus was who he said he was, in part by miracle working. The Old Testament, God um, performed miracles. These weren't daily occurrences. You know, it's not like every day of the week the Israelites are sitting there going, Ooh, look at the mountain float. Oh, a talking donkey. Look, somebody's walking on the water. It wasn't a regular event. But God would perform miracles in an authenticating way. Now watch this. Jesus lived 33 years on this earth. How many miracles did he perform in the first 30 years of his life? Let's count them up together. Zero. 
You say, well, wait, wait, wait. The Catholic Church talks about when he was a kid, didn't he make some birds fly out of wood? Bonk. You know why I say that? It's just my opinion. Let's move on. Not my opinion. John 2.11, Jesus was at a wedding feast in Cana. Go ahead and look at that text and see what it says. It was the first of the miracles that he performed. So for 30 years, Jesus' siblings never got to watch him perform a miracle. Now, if my kids had the gift of miracles, you'd have some crazy stuff going down in the trip house. I want more milk. Poof. Wow. Go clean your room. Poof. Wow. See, but Jesus didn't do that. People don't do that today. So Jesus spent 30 years, no miracles. And then when his earthly ministry began in earnest, then he performed miracles. They were authenticating things. The apostles had the ability to perform miracles. Do you know why? It was just cool. No, it wasn't just cool. It was an authenticating work. They're walking around saying, thus saith the Lord. They're they're giving a revelation that, that is not yet in Scripture. And God graciously says, let me affirm, let me authenticate that. Look what these dudes can do. Right? It's pretty amazing stuff. It's pretty gracious of God. Now, today, God performs miracles But people do not have the gift of miracles because it's an authenticating gift. I have nothing new for you from the Lord. I have his revelation from scripture for you. That's it. Good thing is it's living and active. We're not going to get bored if we're walking in the spirit here. But I have nothing new for you today. I can't perform a miracle. Now I can pray that God would perform a miracle, but that's not the gift of working miracles. So if you meet someone who says they have the gift of miracles, you either have an immature, weak brother or sister in the faith and you walk alongside them, or they're denying the truth and you get away from them. Side note, miracles don't save people. Jesus performed lots. How many? John couldn't write them all. There were so many. After three years of of crazy miracles, I mean dead people coming back, and it's not just Lazarus. Remember, Jesus went to a funeral procession, and somebody sat up in the box. Oh, let me out of here. Some kids up and out, right? We We got some daughter up and running. He's bringing dead people back, restoring the sight to the blind, all sorts of crazy stuff. After three years, he rose from the dead. That's pretty funky. Cool. How many people were following Jesus? 120, and the rest tried to kill him, and it didn't work. Now, sometimes we think, well, Lord, if you would give me the gift of performing miracles, I could share the gospel with people. I could make a chair levitate, make a donkey appear out of another, like State Farm is there. You know, that, if you could do that type of stuff, then people would believe they wouldn't. Remember Di- 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 Lazarus and the rich guy, Diocles is, is his name. He died. He was separated. Abraham and, and the poor guy show up and he says, go tell my brothers so they don't go to hell with me. And remember what Father Abraham says? He says, even if someone would raise from the dead, they wouldn't believe. Miracles don't save. But God is gracious in giving us authenticating works through his miracles to show that it's him speaking. You got the gift of miracle working? No, you don't. Be aware of that. It doesn't exist today. The gift of healing. This is a huge one. I made reference last week to Benny Hinn. I called him Benny Sin. I'll stand by that one. I'll show you why. You ever see one of these healing services? Oh, I have a word from the Lord. We're going to heal someone's lower back pain today. Who, who is it that has a lower back pain today? Someone let me know. And they get all riled up. And then you got some person coming up on the stage. Ah, I've got the lower back pain. And then they stick in their hand on your head. And they're yelling. And they're sweat pouring. And they're screaming. And they're these big burly ushers ready to catch you. And you know, it's, whoo! And then they throw the crutches. And they're dancing around the stage. And knock it off. Here's why. Jesus had the gift of healing. 
Jesus would walk up to a crippled person. He'd say, oh, I got somebody in the house who's crippled. Where's the crippled person? I'm no. He would walk up. You know what he would do? Get up. He, he wasn't a good theater man. You know, he didn't know how to do a performance. He, he, he didn't know how to stir the crowd up and call your friends. I feel the Spirit's going to work. Call them all. No, he'd get up. You know what the crippled dog did? Got up. Sometimes he'd walk over and he'd touch him. He'd walk up to a blind guy. He sees. Where was all the crazy shenanigans? He didn't do a lot with lower back pain. Do you notice that? It was dead folks, blind folks, mute folks, lame folks, demon-possessed folks, all sorts of crazy stuff. He just spoke or he touched. You watch these healing services on TV. Here's a question. If you have the gift of healing, why not just heal everybody? You say, well, that's not what the gift is. Oh, it is. Jesus healed everyone he tried to. Anyone he wanted to heal, he healed completely. If you have the gift of healing, you can heal everybody completely. So Mr. Benny Hinn should just go out there and by by word, if he has a gift, just heal the whole audience. Why not go to the children's hospital? Wouldn't that be a great place to go with the gift of healing? You know, just walk in, heal everybody. It's a gift of healing, right? I'll show you this one. Paul had the gift of healing. How do I know? Read the scriptures. It's all over the place. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. Was Paul dumb? Why didn't he just heal it? Huh? Remember Timothy? Paul says to Timothy, I think it's 1 Timothy 5, drink some wine for your stomach ailment. Well, he had the gift of healing. Why not just tell him, you know, be healed? What's wrong with Paul? He was, he was just uninformed on his gift. Epaphroditus came to Paul and he was sick and almost died and Paul was thankful that he didn't die because he would have been devastated. Well, why didn't Paul just heal Epaphroditus? Ah, watch, see, now we're starting to put the scriptures together. Jesus had the gift of healing. Do you know why he had the gift of healing? It's an authenticating gift. If he says, I have a word from the Lord and says to the lame man, get up and walk, well, then somebody's working. It's either the devil or the Lord, right? If he says to a blind man, get up, and when he's healing, he's fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. When he says to a dead guy, come out, and the dead guy comes out, now, now hang on a minute. Do you see this? But it was an authenticating work. Now, the apostles had the gift of healing, too. How did they heal? They got riled up and went crazy and danced around and shouted and flailed. No. The same exact way Jesus healed, by word or by touch. They would even walk by in a shadow. Boom, boom. Right? They, They would just speak. They would just touch. And people were healed. And it was an authenticating gift. Why? The apostles were delivering the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an authenticating gift. Now watch this. This is extremely important. We no longer live in a time where the word of God is being authenticated. So the authenticating gifts do not exist. God does still heal though. God heals at times by prayer. God heals at times apart from prayer. And if we have a physical ailment, it is okay to pray. And you can pray continually and deliberately and don't give up. Paul was earnest with his prayer. He only stopped when God said, no, I'm not going to heal you. But don't you dare fall for the lie that someone has a gift of healing and they, you can come to them and they'll heal you. Because a lot of charlatans make a lot of money and lead a lot of people astray off of this bunk. You will see there are people. Now, now listen to this, because this is where it gets a little creepy. There are people who have the ability to heal other people, but it's not by the power of God. And it's in a limited capacity. There are people who can have ailments, 
that can be apparently healed by someone who is not working in the power of the Spirit, because in the demonic realm, there's influence that takes place. It's in a limited capacity, not in the robust capacity Jesus and the apostles healed. But there, Mary Baker Eddy claimed to heal, be a founder of a, not Scientology. Thank you, Christian scientists. She, she claimed to heal people telepathically. Did she? Well, not in the same capacity Christ healed people. And if it was in any way, it was of a demonic nature. It was also almost always bunk. But there are people that claim to have this capacity. And you will see people today who have especially sick children. They will become so desperate that they'll hear of someone having a healing ability and they have all this money saved up and they'll take out loans and, and all they can to get their poor kid to this person who has a gift of healing. My friends, it's just not true. It's just not a gift. The Lord can heal if he so desires, but we come to him in prayer. James talks about how to, how to do this in the church in, in a sense, but we come to the Lord in prayer and if it is his will, he will heal. And if it is not his will, he will not. And it is for his glory and for our good. But the gift simply doesn't exist. And this is important because we need to identify what the gifts are and how they fit into the context of the church. Now, I'm just going to continue on from 12 through 13. We'll be here all afternoon. You guys good with that? What I've done is set you up for when we gather together next time. And it's a little different approach this week. I, I, I don't apologize for it. It's necessary. It's just different. But as we begin to apply these spiritual gifts to our lives, as Paul unpacks the Word of God to the Corinthians through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, it's important to understand what the gifts are, what they look like, and what gifts don't exist today. Now, you will notice I didn't touch the gift of tongues. Why didn't I touch it with a, with, with a 10-foot pole today? Well, you have to wait till chapter 14. That takes some unpacking, and that's Paul's focus here. That was a gift that was distorted in the church of God at Corinth that led to a lot of trouble. We don't want to distort what the gifts are. We want to identify what they are, and we want to use them in the way God intends so that we can be a fully functioning body. Three things to take, and then I'll close my mouth. My first hope is that we have all have a better understanding of what the gifts are how they apply to our lives, and how we can minister. Second, I hope that we'll all walk more fully in the Spirit and help one another identify what gifts we have. Everyone here who's a believer has at least one, probably more than one gifts. And we can work together to identify those as we walk in the Spirit. Okay, now three, this is the big one. Why do you have spiritual gifts? What do you say? That's one of the gifts, to be able to teach people God's truth. Does God need our help? Now, listen to this, guys. You and I were all sinners separated from God for all of eternity. We were going to spend eternity in hell, apart not only from everyone in this world we care about, but from God himself. And there was nothing we could do on our own to reconcile that problem. We were enemies. We were God-haters. We were separated from God. And we were going to go to hell and burn in the fiery torment of hell forever and ever and ever. And that's as bad as it gets. But God, the Bible says, shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now watch this. Jesus died for us to forgive us of our sin, to reconcile us to the Father, and then to make us children of God. And we live on this world as a representative of God to a lost world, right? We are ambassadors of Christ God making his appeal through us. How does God do that? Now watch this. He knits us together together. 
into the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to live with the gifts of the Spirit that he's entrusted to us, so that we might be the ambassadors he's made us to be. This, this thing called the church is not an organization you show up at to consume what you like. It's a living, breathing organism that is the body of Christ on this earth. God has entrusted a, a wonderful gift and responsibility to us, and he has said to each and every one of us, here are the gifts of which you are to minister, to care for your brothers and sisters, and to represent me to a lost world. We all have them. We all are entrusted with them. And when we know what they are, and when we use them as God intends, well, then we become this crazy thing called the bride of Christ, working in the power of Christ for the glory of Christ. And even the gates of hell will not prevail against that, will they? So as we work forward from here, let's be diligent. Let's be attentive as we walk in the spirit to see what are the gifts that God has entrusted to us? And how can we use those gifts to minister to one another so that this bride of Christ looks like the beautiful bride that the Lord intends for it to be. Let's pray. Father God, I just am floored by the fact that you invite us alongside you to work, that you call us to a work and you empower us to do the work. And then you promise to give us gifts for simply walking in obedience to you. You allow us to store up treasures in heaven, which you delight in bestowing upon us as we do a work that you do through us, which you do for your glory and our good. Lord, we are easily distracted. We have lots of of pride and selfishness that runs rampant in all of us. At times, we don't want to use our gifts because it's inconvenient. We wish we had different gifts. We don't like the people you call us to minister to and, and all sorts of trouble. But Lord Jesus, help us remember who you are and who we are from where we have come, what we were apart from you and what we have been made through you and what your desire is for all. Lord, help us to understand your love for us so we might love one another. Help us to understand that the gifts you've given to us are given in your perfect wisdom, that you know what you are doing, that you desire to work powerfully through us. Holy Spirit, help us to know the gifts. Help us to know the gifts you've given to each and every one of us. Help us to walk alongside each other, to fan those gifts into flame. I think of Paul writing to Timothy, encouraging him to fan the gift into flame, which he was been entrusted when Paul laid his hands on him. Lord, these gifts don't just fan into flame on their own. They fan into flame as we walk in obedience. Lord, I pray that this church will be a church with which you are well pleased. It would be a church that is never lukewarm. It would be a church that makes no sense in the eyes of the world, but in your eyes brings much joy and makes perfect sense. A church empowered by the Spirit, working in the gifts of the Spirit for the glory of God. Lord, I pray you forgive us for those times, many of which we have fallen short. I pray your forgiveness, and I pray that you work mightily in us. I thank you for everything you've entrusted to us, most of all the faith that we have through our Lord Christ Jesus, which is kept for us not by our works, but by his power alone. Lord Jesus, we thank you, and we pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.